following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. How y'all doing? When I got up this morning, it was 36 degrees when I left the house about 6.30 to come to church because I just think the Lord needs me here real early for some reason. And so I get here real early. It was 36 degrees in my car. And when, when my wife came a couple of hours later, uh, it was 37 degrees. It stayed cold a while here this morning. But you folks got to sleep in long enough and perhaps stay indoors long enough that you didn't understand that we had a norther blow through here this morning. And it was cold. It really was. You know, I often wonder, I often wonder how, what, what kind of person God loves the most, the guy that wakes up every morning and says, Good morning, God. Or the guy that wakes up every morning and says, Good God, it's morning. <laughs> Which one do you think? I think every day that we live, every day we're above the ground is a great one. It really, really is. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's football season, guys. And uh, I, know, I know the wife is suffering right now. I know that. Because it's football season. It's football games. Every time you turn the TV on, you've got to find something that's not football now. A woman walked in, saw her husband watching TV the other day, and she started crying. And he said, what are you crying for, honey? She said, you love football more than you love me. And he didn't know what to say because she hit him. And in a minute it came to him. He said, honey, I love you more than baseball. (laughs) Hey, February's coming. Spring training's coming. So baseball will be around (laughs) in a little while. And I also had some people talking about these French protesters, these po- protesters from Paris out in our parking lot, they had these yellow vests on. That's not protesters from Paris. That's our, that's our, that's our, our, our people that park you. That's our parking lot attendants <laughs> out there. And they're, they're not protesting anything. In fact, if you got a ride today on one of them or two of them's cart, one of them will sing to you, and he'll direct you to the house, and he'll bring you in and do all that type. And we've got, we've got elderly people out there, senior citizens driving, and I thank God for that because I think they can miss cars better than, than other people can miss cars. You know, when you've driven a long time. I've always believed that when you learn to drive, you need to go to a cemetery to learn how to drive. Because if you hit something, it won't die. It's already gone. You know what I'm saying? My wife learned how to drive in a cemetery, and her dad was a wise man to take her there because my wife had a hard time staying in the road. She's not in here right now, so I can talk about her. If she was in here, I wouldn't say anything about this. She's not here. I'm happy to see you today. I really, really am. It's a delight. And uh, did y'all enjoy the At The Movie series? Wasn't it good? Wasn't it good? It's good stuff. It really was. I, uh, I thank God that that was put together, Blake and Casey and, and the guys that put it all together and spliced it and made it work for us. It was so nice. We just had to talk a little bit and they did the rest of it. And what a joy to have that. And it was a blessed event. We had over 215 first-time guest in those five weeks that signed up. Some people didn't sign up, but what a joy to have that many guests just come in and say, you know what, I enjoyed being here. Now, next Sunday, we'll have wall-to-wall people because next Sunday is our wonder uh, service. It's our Christmas program, and I think, I'm sorry, I'm prejudiced, but I think we have probably the finest music in all of Austin, Texas. I really, really do. We've got, we've got some good talent. Say a prayer for one of our little young'uns. She's going to American Idol. She made it to Hollywood, and she's going to American Idol, and we'd like to see her do real well. That's pretty good, isn't it? It's good. Would you stand? You're awesome people, and I love you very much. And uh, today, 
I'm going to just kind to uh, kind of talk to you about Christmas in another way, another light. And so many times we hear things at Christmas that perhaps are urban legend or perhaps they're just figments of people's imagination and they made them truth by saying them long enough. But we're going to try to get you back to the original of what it was all about uh, during that time and we're going to be talking Christmas. In fact, two weeks from today, I'm going to be speaking on three wise women. Yeah, on the 23rd, that's going to be my text. So if, if you want to come without your husband, that's all right. Then you can tell him everything I said about wise women. But today we're going to be talking about the facts of the Magi. We're going to talk about the three wise men. Matthew chapter 2 says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that's born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to, everybody say, worship him. We've come to worship him. I think if you've come this far, you got dressed this morning, you walked in the church, you took enough time to get dressed to be here, it's all right if you worship him while you're here. It's okay because he loves worship. In fact, he said, The hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. I'm glad we can worship him with word. We can worship him with our spirit. Why don't you clap your hands real big and just thank God because you're in the house today. And you may be seated. God bless. I will not be lengthy and I mean that. I love the story once told that comes from a time when radio was our, uh, was our dominant form of mass media. A sheep herder up in Montana wrote the NBC Symphony in New York City telling of a problem that he had. He was an amateur musician. He was a violinist. And he listened to the symphony every Sunday on his radio, but his violin had gotten badly out of tune. And in his isolation, he had no way to tune it or nothing to tune it with. So he needed a big favor. He represents a lot of people in the Christmas season. He really does. People out of tune, people perhaps that are lonely or alone, and they have no way seemingly to get their life together. And so the, 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 the people told on a particular day that on this Sunday afternoon, and they was talking about June 18, 1938, they said at the beginning of the symphony, we're going to play a note for the shepherd out in Montana. They made that announcement. And at the beginning of the program on that Sunday, on that day at Sunday afternoon, June 18, 1938, the NBC Symphony, a clear loud note was sent across the air for that one shepherd. And it was a beautiful clear A, a note from that note A is a note that the sheep herder in Montana got his violin in tune with because A is the tuning note for every instrument. And today I bring some facts that I have learned about the wise men some 2,000 years ago. They followed a star and they found a savior. I love this time of the year and the reason, Jesus is the reason for this season. And I love to speak and talk about Jesus Christ. Three, three six-year-old kids were playing the wise men in their church program one year and they came to the stable and one put his hand on his gift and gave it to the, the, the Christ child and he said, I bring you gold. The second said, I bring you myrrh. And the third one came to them with his treasure and said, and Frank sent this. <laughs> he didn't know what frankincense was. Or the three little girls in this all-girls school who were playing the wise men said, in unison, we bring gold, circumstance, and mud. <laughs> Someone has noted 
that if there had been three wise women who came seeking the newborn king instead of the three wise kings, three wise men, they would have, number one, asked for directions. They'd arrived on time. They'd have helped deliver the baby. They'd have cleaned the stable, made a casserole, and they'd brought practical gifts. That's what moms do. I have said to you before, and I'll say it again, I love this time of the year. There's a beautiful old tradition about a star in the east. Remember, it's tradition. It's just legend. The story says that when a star that had finished its task of directing the wise men to the baby, it fell from the sky and dropped to the city well of Bethlehem, David's well, Jacob's well. According to some legend, that star is there to this day and can sometimes still be seen by those whose hearts are pure and clean. It's a pretty story. Kind of makes you feel warm inside, but it is just a legend. And there's other legends about the story of the wise men. For instance, how many wise men were there? In the old days in the east, many people believed there were 12 men who made the journey, but now most everyone agree it was just three men. But one old legend even tells us the names of the three because the Bible does not give them names. They named one Melchior who was supposedly a European because it brought the whole world together, his birth, was the oldest of the group and he brought the gift of gold. And then there was Baltazar who was from the country of Africa and he was not as old as Melchior and he presented the gift of myrrh. And the youngest was Caspar. He was an Asian man according to legend. He presented the gift of frankincense to the baby. And another legend tells us after seeing the baby, these three continued on into Spain, telling the world the good news about what they had seen and what they had witnessed in their life. And these stories bring the wise men a little more to life and add some color to the meaning of Christmas. Legends can also get in the way of Christmas if we don't watch it. The problem with legends is that sometimes they add color to stories and the colors that they add are not needed. In fact, sometimes legends are so colorful they are unbelievable and they end up making the entire story unbelievable as well. It's kind of like the star falling in the well. It makes you warm inside. It also makes you wonder, is that really real? And in fact, people on the 12th day of Christmas this year, which is after the first of the year, they'll be going to that well and they'll be looking down and seeing if they can see the star that fell from the sky. It still is in order today. I'm not out to ban legends, I'm really not, but I do think it might be worthwhile to hear the story one more time the way it was told the first time. Anybody ready for some authentic truth here today? I need to hear it myself, and you're welcome to listen in if you'd like to. But it all started sometime after Jesus was born, this story. It probably was more than a few weeks, perhaps more than a few months. Perhaps it was closer to a couple of years. Herod tried to kill the baby and later murdered every child under the age of two. So anything two and under he tried to kill. So probably between maybe six months and maybe two years, Jesus was being searched for by the three wise men. I said, see, I said three and I don't know if there's three or not. Apparently he wasn't sure how long it had been either. Joseph and Mary had to flee to Egypt though to escape Herod's wrath. That's found in Matthew 2 also. One thing we do know at this time, the world was very explosive, extremely explosive. Every nation in that part of the world was on edge because historical writings from all over the Orient shared the belief and it was fated that a wonderful new king was about to arrive, one that would change and rule the entire world. And from throughout the Roman Empire to Armenia as far away as Persia, the people waited for the king's arrival. It is in Persia that we find our story today, true story. Some years back, there had been an attempted overthrow of the Persian government by a group of people called the Medes. You probably read about them in the Bible if you're a Bible scholar. 
but the attempt had failed. And since they could not destroy the Persians, then the Medes joined them. And they were a highly educated group of people and deeply respected for their understanding of science and religion and, yes, astronomy. They were good men. They were holy men. They were great men. And they were given the name Magi. There was a great group of them. And they believed the stars controlled what happened on earth and that if a new king was to be born, the heavens would surely give a sign. And apparently, apparently, when Jesus was born, the heavens did. Just what it was in those early, that the early astronomers saw, we don't know. But history bears out that there was a brilliant appearance of Halley's Comet in the year 10 B.C., true story. And some believe that we may, that may have been the sign. And then there were two tremendous bright lights later in 7 B.C. and 3 B.C. when Saturn and Jupiter and Venus appeared next to each other and all looked like one giant star shining in the heavens. Such an occurrence was always believed to be the sign of a king's birth. There would be a star. And some believe that's what the Magi saw. And others believe that the star was a one-time appearance or something that they called supernatural. We don't know. But all the Bible says is this. We saw his star and have come. Somehow, God knew how to speak the language to astronomers. And somehow, on the hillsides, on the night of Jesus' birth, God knew how to speak the language of shepherds, for he sent angels to them. And in fact, there's nobody in this house today that God cannot talk your language. He knows the language that you have to have to find him in your life before your life is over. And I'm so glad you're here today because everybody needs to meet this Jesus before you meet the Jesus on the other side. Let's clap our hands and rejoice to that. Benjamin Disraeli once said, the secret of true success in life is for a person to be ready for opportunity when opportunity comes. And one man said it best. He said, opportunity dances with those already on the dance floor. You got to be ready because opportunity doesn't come just every day. So how many came? Twelve, eight, six, three. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't. We just don't know. Scripture never seems to say that there were three wise men, but they did give three gifts. And from that, we assume there were three gift givers, one from Europe, one from Africa, and one from Asia. And I'm not sure where we get the notion that they were kings. The Bible does not say that either. So here, here we are. Let me talk to you now. Word of their arrival from the east made an impression around Bethlehem. And the greatest impression was made up on a man named King Herod. Herod was an egomaniacal man. He was a narcissist. He was a man that loved himself very, very much. But he had this problem. He had a raging jealousy of anybody that threatened his kingdom. And he was so impressed when he heard these wise men were coming about a star that they were following, and he realized why they were coming. He had a welcome to Judea party. It really happened. And during the celebration, he pulled aside these wise men and confided in them, and he told them that, it, it, that even he was more excited than they about the birth of a new king and that he would certainly appreciate it if they happened to find that new king and they realized that it was the king if they would come back and tell him where he was and he would send gifts and come himself to make sure that that king was welcomed royally into this world. You knew his motive. Herod was an interesting character. He was what we call a complicated character, individual. But he could be compassionate. Back in 25 B.C., true story, he had his own solid dinner, gold plate, melted down, and the money given to the poor. He could be considerate. 
And more than once, he refunded taxes to those who were having a hard time getting by. I believe I'd have probably voted for him. He's going to cut my taxes and give me some money back. But he also murdered his wife. He murdered his mother-in-law. And at least three of his own sons were killed by the hand of Herod the Great. And later in life, when he knew he was about to die, he ordered the arrest of a hundred of the most respected residents and citizens of all Jerusalem and asked them to be imprisoned, told his guards to imprison them and gave them strict orders. At the moment of his death, he wanted all these hundred prisoners to be killed because he wanted to be sure people would cry at his funeral. He's a bad man, a sad man, a man that had mental problems. He passed it on down to three of his kin. There was four of them total. King Herod had a potential for good but was driven by this nightmarish jealousy. If he saw any threat, real or imagined, he did whatever necessary to destroy it. And of course now the baby king was a real threat. And in his mind, in his mind, these wise foreigners would unwittingly help him carry out the necessary destruction. I've always wondered if those wise men really bought his story. I've often wondered. Herod was good and he was a king. But was he that good? We've all been on the receiving end of some of that stuff. And you know, you know, we've been tripped before and we've been, we've been tested before. And sometimes we believed it, fell for it, and sometimes we didn't. And sometimes what we didn't fall for was probably the truth. And what we did fall for was probably something that's trying to convince us of something that wasn't true. But knowing Herod, even if they doubted what he said, it probably wouldn't be too good and too smart to say so because just to be sure that they caught on, God filled them in with a dream on their way to meet the baby Jesus. And they realized that Herod was not in it for the good. But I put in my notes today, and I want to preach a little bit now. I put, but hallelujah. Everybody say hallelujah. In spite of the Herods, in spite of the long journey, in spite of all the stars that might have beamed that night and all that didn't and all the people that might have come and those that didn't, if there was 15, it'd be all right with me. But if there was just three, it's fine. But I want to tell you three things. Number one, they did find the baby Jesus. They did find him. Because when you search for him and when you look for him, if you're really searching and looking for him, you will find him. The Bible said he promises that. You will find him. He said, in fact, you're going to be happy about it because I'm findable. I'm not far from any of you. I want you to find me. I'm not playing hide and seek from anybody in this house today. He wants you to find him and he wants to know you and you to know him as a real savior in your life. Come on, clap your hands. They found the savior. They found baby Jesus. And the second thing they did, they bowed down and they worshiped him. Wow. Here's where it gets cut off sometime. Because we worship, we know not what. We worship a lot of things in life. But if we could focus our worship, especially this Christmas season, on the one, on the Savior of the world, it sure would help our Christmas season. And I don't want you going into Christmas season worrying about if you're going to have enough or worrying about if you're going to be able to do this or that. I want you to focus on Jesus Christ. Because I promise you, the things that I've read about him and understand about him in my life, he may not be early for you, but I promise you he'll never be late. He'll always be right on time. And somebody in this house today needs to clap your hands and worship a Savior and worship somebody that's that good to us. Nobody can make that promise, but he said, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. What a Savior. And the third thing they did, they gave him gifts. Everybody said they gave him gifts. I think it's important. I really think it's important. I get up every morning 
Every morning I get up and I say, God, I'm so glad that I am. I am somebody. I am important to you. I matter. I'm a part of your kingdom and I am created by you and you don't make junk, so I'm not junk. I may be bald-headed, but I'm not junk. I may like Bluebell too much, but I'm not junk. I'm not junk. I am somebody. I am somebody. And then I say, you know what? I believe, God, I'm here on purpose. I believe that you made me for a reason. I believe I've got something necessary to do before you call me out of here. I believe you're for me. And if you're for me, who could be against me? Oh, I talk to him that way. I give him eight little old words. I believe that you are my savior. And then I say, I can, Lord, I can. ABC, I can do all things through you because there's nobody can affect me like you can and nobody can touch me like you can. And I believe that I can because you did and you are for me. And if you're for me, who could be against me? Come on now. And then I say... Then I say, I am, I believe I can. Then I say, I will, I will, I will. I jump to the end of the, uh, end of the alphabet and I say, I will, Lord. I will do anything. I will go anywhere. I'll say anything. I'll bless anybody you want me to bless. I'll touch anybody you want me to touch. I'll be what I need to be for you because I am not you, but I represent you on this earth. And I believe that I will make it happen in somebody's life today. And can I tell you right now, Somebody needs to bring some gifts like that. You know what his most precious gift is? Your praise to him. He inhabits the praise of his people. You know what you can put around his Christmas tree this year? Some praise. You need to say, Lord, thank you for another year. Thank you for the blessings and the favor of God on our church and our lives. Thank you for blessing our home. Thank you for blessing our jobs. Thank you for blessing our marriage. Thank you. That's a gift to the heavenly father. Come on, clap your hands and rejoice right now. The king, the king, the king. I didn't mean to preach, forgive me. They gave him gold, the appropriate gift for a king. They gave him frankincense, a powerful smelling incense, which was the usual gift given to a priest. They also gave him myrrh. This one may have raised Mary's eyebrow and also caused those wise men to say, we don't understand this one because it was used for embalming fluid. Myrrh was a spice used to rub the body in final preparation for burial. So they gave a gift for a king. They gave a gift for a priest and they didn't even realize but they gave a gift for a savior. I can understand the king. I can understand the priest because we have a high priest that can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities and was tempted in all points yet without sin. And I'm so happy that we have one that we can go to and say, hey, I got a little issue, I got a little problem. He said, come on in. I am your high priest and I can take care of that situation for you. I don't have to see him as king, but I can see him as a savior. And a savior came to this earth and was born and he lived and he performed miracles, over 150 of them. He performed miracles while he was on this earth. Then he died and was buried and rose again. And yes, they were coming that resurrection morning to put some more myrrh on his body. Hallelujah. Because that was what the wise men gave him at his birth. But he didn't need any myrrh because when they got to the tomb, the stone was rolled away and he walked out that morning and he was victorious over death, hell and the grave and they didn't even know it on that day when they met him that they were anointing a savior oh hallelujah can I tell you I could preach about this Jesus folks you wait till Easter gets here I'm going to preach about him real good 
But I'm telling you, Christmas is an awesome time because it gives us a glimpse into the future. But these gifts were not of monetary value, even though 2,000 years ago, gold and frankincense and myrrh were worth, you ready for this, $600 a pound, $500 a pound, and myrrh was worth $4,000 a pound. And a similar gift today in the 21st century, gold now is just is $6,000 a pound, only $15 a piece for frankincense and myrrh. They've lost their value and gold's kept it. But the first gift given was gold. There were not only gifts of monetary blessings, but they were gifts, you ready for this, of health and healing and long life. I want to speak strongly here because there's no wasted words or concepts in the Bible. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh were among earliest and most prized curative medicines in the ancient world. Frankincense and myrrh were both rosins that came from the wounds of barks of trees that grew only in northeast Africa and southern Arabia. And in the first century, the frankincense rosin was considered, you ready for this, divine. It was considered holy. It was considered precious. And modern researchers have discovered that frankincense has a wonderful antiseptic and an antifungal and anti-inflammatory properties that make it a usual dressing as well as being a bronchial dilator that helps in lung infections and asthma. So what I'm telling you is, 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 that, is, that, is that frankincense, it can be rubbed on the outside, but it's good enough to be inhaled on the inside. Can I tell you that when they gave Jesus frankincense that day, they gave him the privilege of not only healing this, but healing this. Not only touching this, but touching this. He's not just a healer of your physical situation. He's a healer of your mental and emotional situation. Jesus is a healer. Are you with me today? And there's no shelf life in frankincense. What was reaped 2,000 years ago is still useful today. You can still get medicine out of it today. There's something about Jesus. If he healed you when you was eight, he can heal you when you're 88. If he touched you when you were a baby, he can still touch you now. There's no shelf life on his healing. Woo, Lord have mercy. And then myrrh. Myrrh today is very cheap, but... Myrrh was incredible. It was biochemically similar to frankincense. But a drop of myrrh could double the price of perfume. So you could go, folks, today and get you some perfume for your wife, husband, and go get you just a drop of myrrh, and it would double the price. You could either sell it or give it to your wife, whatever. But when they opened King Tut's tomb after 3,000 years of it being sealed, there was myrrh inside that tomb and there was such a, a smell of myrrh. It drove the observers out of the room. They could not handle the overwhelming smell of myrrh 3,000 years later. Here's what I'm telling you. Myrrh is also a symbol of the love of God because you see myrrh being given to him on the cross when he was dying. You see myrrh being given to virgins who were being prepared for the kings in the Old Testament because it was a love lotion. It was something that made them smell good. You read about it in the Song of Solomon. And here's what I'm trying to tell you. Myrrh is the love of Jesus Christ to all of us. Come on, somebody. Myrrh is that love. Myrrh says, I love you in spite of who you are. 
I think that you are special to me because I made you. You don't have to do anything for me to love you. But when you have a Savior like that, I think it's good to come and see him every now and then. I think it's better to bow down and worship him every now and then. And I think it's better to give to him every now and then. Anybody hear what I'm preaching today? Because he loves you today just as much or more as he loved you when you were born. I love this. You know, myrrh was good for diaper rash, baldness. I need some myrrh on my head. Obesity, I've been eating too much bluebell. And it was used for anesthetics. It gave, it gave you a prolonged life. Experiments with myrrh today are aimed at accelerating metabolism, thereby lowering cholesterol and body weight. Isn't that amazing? They gave him healing properties. And they didn't even realize what they were doing probably. Then there was gold. And I conclude, gold. Gold is considered one of nature's most perfect substances. It was always believed to harbor supernatural healing powers. And today gold injections help people with, you ready for this, rheumatoid arthritis. It helps you walk. It helps you feel. It helps your hands. It helps your legs. It helps your feet. As well as those who do not respond well to standard steroidal treatments. Here's what I'm trying to say. Jesus said, buy you gold, try it in the fire. I used to wonder why Moses, when he come off the mount of the Ten Commandments with Sinai, and he came down and saw those people worshiping that golden calf. The Bible said they break that golden calf down and they ground it up and they put it with water and had the people drink that. And I thought it was punishment back then, but it wasn't. It was for healing. God was trying to, God was trying to heal the inside of those people. He's trying to give them something on the inside that was stronger than the temptation on the outside. You see, Jesus don't want to just touch you physically. He wants to touch your emotions. He wants to touch your mind. He wants to touch your psyche. He wants to touch your spirit because your spirit being with a soul that's in a body. And so your spirit means so much to Jesus Christ because it's going back to the God that gave it. And I want to tell you that gold, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is the gold standard of healing today. He's the gold standard. I love our doctors in this house. I love people, a profession of doctors. I love our psychologists and psychiatrists and people that come to this church, and I love you very much. But when I need something special, I know the gold standard. <laughs> I know the gold standard. The gold standard is not somebody here. The gold standard is the one I worship every day. Can I preach to somebody right now? Can I tell you that there's nobody can do you like Jesus can? There's nobody can help you like Jesus can. There's nobody can touch you like Jesus can. Frankincense is his longevity of healing and myrrh is the perfumed love of his life, death, and resurrection for us. I've got to quit. Jesus is the most powerful personality anyone could ever hope to meet. He's so powerful because he's so rich. Jesus was enormously endowed in his personal gifts, his insight, his connection with Almighty God, his knowledge, his influence over people with his charisma. And at Christmas, at this Christmas, I don't want you to be alone or lonely or frustrated. Wednesday night I talked about peace. The first word the angel said to the shepherds was peace on earth. Peace on earth. And the last thing Jesus said, I give you peace, not as the world gives, I give you peace from me. The first thing he mentioned, the, second, the last thing he said was, I want you to have peace. And I want you to know that peace this Christmas. I really, really do. I don't want you to feel alone. I don't want you to feel lonely. I don't want you to feel like, God, I can't get through Christmas. 
So many people damage themselves at Christmas time. So many people have problems at Christmas time. And that's not the will of God. And today I just preach to you. This is a healing season. This is a healing season. It's time to grasp the healing that Jesus brought to you at a place called Bethlehem when he was born in a manger. Hear me today. Let him heal you. Mm, Let him heal you. Let him heal you today. Let him just absolutely divinely heal you today. Let him give you a peace that passes understanding. I know you've had a hard ache this, this year. I know you've gone through some crisis. I've, been, I've done funerals this year and it broke my heart because I've lost some great people in this church. But I know this, that I will not regret the fact that I get to have Christmas with Jesus this year in Austin, Texas. Because I'm telling you, he's not a legend. He's the real deal. Jesus is not legendary. He's a real deal. And I'm preaching about a real Savior here today. And he's coming back to get us one day. And I love that about him. I love that about him. Randy, if you'll help me. I'm done. But the Bible said when those those wise men, after seeing him and after worshiping him and after giving him gifts, the Bible said they went home another way. They went home another way. Here's what I want to tell you. Anytime you have an inter- interaction with Jesus, you'll always go home another way. They didn't care about going back and having a Judea party with Herod again. They just wanted to get on back home and tell somebody, we have found the Messiah. <laughs> we found him. We have found him. And they went home. And they went home another way. And we do know, we do know this that a team of the greatest scholars alive believe that the baby born in Bethlehem's manger was the king of the world. They believe that. And we do know that the famous Herod the Great also believed that Mary's boy was the new king because he tried to kill him. And the bare facts were enough for all of them to believe that Jesus was the Christ. My question today, is that enough for you? Is it enough for you to believe that he's the Christ? See, I found him. I found him in my life. And he's been there for me so many times. But I declare to you, you need to discover him for yourself. You need to have a run-in with Jesus. You need to find him. You need to find him. You need to focus on him because I promise you, he'll give you a good Christmas. He really, really will because this is what it's all about. It's about him. Amen? Amen. Say amen to that. And so on this Sunday morning, December 9, 2018, I stand as the New York Symphony Director at the end of a message about the birth of Christ. I hear a loud and a clear and a clarion call that's been sent out across this auditorium and to those watching and listening by the internet today. It's a beautiful, clear A note, an A note. He's an awesome God. He's an awesome Savior. Hallelujah. He's the Alpha He's the Almighty. There's nobody like Him. He's the A note. And if you find the A note in your life, you can get your life in tune. You can get your life in tune. If a shepherd can hear a sound from New York Symphony Orchestra, I can hear a sound from heaven saying, the A note wants to come into your life today. So I'm asking you, I'm asking you to stand and we're going to do something here at the close of this service. It's going to be pretty special. I want you to stand. Thanks for allowing me to minister the gospel to you today. Everybody say, Jesus, 
is not a legend. He's not an urban legend. 